Hey everyone, I'm Andy Petronic, and this is the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. It's the place we talk to exceptional people about the things that make them tick, exploring their life successes, lessons learned, daily habits and secrets, what helped them to get where they are, and how they stay on top of their game. Hey gang, it's Andy and I'm back. I'm back. It is week coming up on the end of week four. Actually, it is the end of week four in the whole life challenge. We are we are halfway through, and um, gotta say, still still kicking it in the ketosis. I just tested my blood glucose and ketone levels today. I was at one point two ketones, and I was at seventy nine blood glucose, which I f- still feel like is a little bit high, given the the um, tiny amount of sugar that I'm eating, tiny amount of carbohydrates that I'm eating, but uh, I'll take it. I will absolutely take it. I want to talk quickly this morning before I introduce our guest about, I, I just, I linked to an article on Facebook this morning about the climbing obesity rates and the alarming number of people who are subject to the 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 onslaught of diabetes, uh, type two diabetes predominantly, and 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 all of the disastrous health implications for all of us as a result of this obesity epidemic. It's out of control, and uh, I, I've been reading um, I've been reading quite a lot of books, partly because I'm in the process of ketosis myself, and I'm eliminating all these all these foods that I've loved for my whole life for my diet. And partly just because I'm fascinated by this topic, you know, the idea that, and this, this started with my interview with John Durant. Uh, when I re- read his book, the paleo manifesto, it was really the, my first look at the evolutionary biology um, of humankind and how we've all been part of this ongoing experiment this ongoing dietary food experiment where we learn what works and what doesn't over extended periods of time based on who lives and who dies. I mean, it's, it's kind of messed up when you think about it. You know, um, the, the most direct example that I uh, remember from my conversation with John was when we were talking about rickets and, and you know, discovering that be- simply because we started putting people on ships and started crossing the oceans – we discovered rickets. Why? Because not because we were trying to discover rickets, but because people were dying and we wanted to figure out why they were dying. And we discovered that it was a, you know, lack of vitamin C. Well, it's interesting that we, we did figure that out. And now we're in that we're in this position where nutritionists, doctors, the industrial food complex has been, have been, have taught the world that the food pyramid is the right way to eat, that we need to exercise more in order to keep the weight off. And the food pyramid meaning a a, a grain-based and vegetable and fruit-based diet with a little bit of protein and then even less fat. And at what point does the world start to realize this doesn't work? When's it time to acknowledge that the experiment that's been running for the last 40 years, because that's really what it is, and it's, it's experiment, 
didn't work. It didn't work. It's not about exercising more. We weren't exercising more 40 years ago. We were eating differently 40 years ago. Never has there been a time in the history of humanity where there's been the abundance of carbohydrates and sugar available at any moment, at any time, at any place, 24-7, anywhere in the world. Well, I wouldn't say anywhere in the world, but in any major metropolitan area, you can get at sugar. It's upsetting. It's upsetting to me. I know I'm going to be paying for it. Look, I'm not upset because of the financial part, although that is a big part. I'm upset because of the the disastrous impact it will have on the current generation and on future generations. And our kids are growing up in, with this problem and it's going to get bigger. You know, if you, if you believe that diabetes is a precursor to Alzheimer's, which has study after study have sh- has shown dementia and Alzheimer's, we're in deep kimchi people. Time to wake up. Anyway, I uh, don't want to go on too long about that. It's probably already been too long. We're, uh, uh, my guest today is Jeff Tucker. And I'm so excited to have this guy on the podcast. He is a, just, a, a, <laughs> he, well, I had him on, I've had, I'm having him on the podcast because he and his crew at CrossFit Gymnastics have trained over 300,000 people in the world in gymnastics. Now that doesn't mean gymnasts. That means most, for the most part, everyday Joes, everyday people, everyday Joes and Janes, how to move better, how to be responsible for the way their body moves. And Tucker is so relatable. He's, he's a Texan. He's, he speaks with a drawl, slow, tells stories. Um, just a, you instantly feel welcome in conversation with him. He just draws you in to his world. And part that, I think that's in part why he's been so successful in running this gymnastics program around the world and, and coaching people around the world. I'm not going to spend a lot, long time introducing him. He, trust me, this is an interview you don't want to, this is a conversation you don't want to pass up on. Um, we talk about a lot of stuff. I, I do some silly things during the conversation. And um, Tucker gives us his opinion about a lot of things that we, we all could be doing. We all could be doing to improve our awareness, consciousness of movement in our, in our bodies and in our lives. So um, enjoy it. I welcome Jeff Tucker to the podcast. Yeehaw. Jeff Tucker, welcome to the Whole Life Podcast. Hello. <laughs> We've been just to bring everybody else up to 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 speed, I guess, for lack of a better word. We've uh, Tucker and I have been hanging out for the last twenty four hours and doing nothing but talking. <laughs> this this is true. So, we did take a breath once. Holy crap! So now we're gonna now we're gonna record it. You yeah, know? I was amazed by that. <laughs> what are we gonna What are we gonna talk about now? Because we've been we've literally you know God more conversation than I can remember in recent history. Let's talk about pizza. We haven't covered pizza. <laughs> Uh, you know, why I really wanted to have you on the podcast is to talk about your experience with gymnastics and, mm-hmm. and, and, and movement. 
And um, how many athletes did you say you've taught through your gymnastics seminars? We've been doing it over, well, a decade now at least, almost over a decade. And I think our last count that I got from our in-house people was we're pushing over 300,000. Wow. A lot of people. And and most of the people that you work with are beginners. Yeah. Beginner gymnasts. Well, well, I, and, you know, I take that back. You know, really, I, I consider them hobbyists. I wouldn't call them gymnasts. Right, I think a right. lot of what we deal with yes, are... Yes, yes. Yeah, those that... that now, there are some that have a gymnastic background from pedigrees of uh, NCAA competition to worlds. And we've had Olympians, former Olympians, take our course, which wow. is a, a huge hat tip. Right. Uh, you know, and those are just the people that we've interfaced with face to face. There's no telling how many millions we've screwed up over the last 10 years. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> is that intimidating? You get an Olympian who's in there and you're coaching an Olympian? Like, is that, you know, it just basically makes you shit your pants. Right. <laughs> are we allowed to say that? You just did. Oh, sorry. I thought. <laughs> It's all good. No, I'm it's sorry. All good. Uh, no, it, it you know it is because you know what I really am is a failed gymnast. Um, you know I, it is it it is. It, you've got individuals who've come to us, and I've had you know I've had other Olympians from other genres come in. So that kind of happened first, like uh, Olympic weightlifters, right, right? Who had competed on Olympic level, and so what I loved about that is I was able to look at their genre of sport and translate what they did towards what we do in bodyweight movement and they dug it and I dug what they did. And, you know, there's a great cross pollination going on there, but when a gymnast steps in, there's two, there's two things that happen. And you talk, you and I talked about this earlier. Like if you see somebody do movement, okay, that guy's a swimmer, that guy's a track guy, right. you know, that guy did shot put, um, you know, a gymnast, when you see one, when you see somebody get inverted, they start balancing, walking on hands, you, you know, that they've had some form of, of, of gymnastic training. So, but the elitist in our sport, because ours very, you know, every sport's got its own specificity, but, you know, you, you know when you see a really good gymnast. So, so I, I do, I sit there and I go, what the hell can I teach this guy or right. this gal? But what's funny is that it tends to be that those with the higher ranks in our sport, they, they've forgotten where they came from. They've forgotten the basic stuff, which mm-hmm. is what – you know, frankly, the hobbyist is learning from me, you know, I, oh, okay, well, this hurts my wrist. Well, okay, well, maybe what we do is we open your wrist, turn them out a little bit, and we'll change some of that flexion issue you might have. But but it, you know, what would be second nature for a, a competitive gymnast who doesn't have those issues because they've done gymnastics their whole life, right? right? They've done the prep work. So the hobbyist coming in or the, the you know, the, the non-phenom is, is what we really deal with. And so we have to teach them a lot of tricks to get – uh, you know, flexion and flexibility and mobility, those types of things. How, how did you get doing this? Because, you know, I look around your house, your ranch. I mean, we're literally in the middle of Texas. In nowhere. Uh, this, is my first, this is my first real trip to Texas. I mean, I've been to Austin, been to cities yeah. in Texas, which are like well, any other been city. to Austin, California been by to another Dallas, name, you know? <laughs> been to Houston, been right. to Austin. Yeah, it's, sub, yeah. it's uh, Annex B of L.A., right? Now right, Austin's right. becoming. Right. But I'm in the heart of Texas. I yeah. mean, I look out the window and I don't see anything other than white oaks right. and red oaks live, and oaks live oaks. There's a valley there in front of you. And deer yeah. and turkey <laughs> and roadrunners yeah. and cows. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you got your boots on and we just picked up a massive trailer on the back of your... 25-footer. <laughs> on, the back, on the back of your 300, 350 
truck. And I'm surprised you don't have me with a pitchfork. Uh, I've got a gun up here too. If you get a gun, yeah, we got a skeet. We got a skeet shot right in the front. Yep. A trap. What's it called? What's uh, that thing called? We do, uh, it's a it's a launcher, a clay yeah, pigeon launcher. Yeah, yeah, launcher. Yeah. Right, launcher. Right on, right in the front yard, looking out the front window. <laughs> How? What? what gymnastics? Why really? the fuck am I here? Is yes, exactly. <laughs> like what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I fell into it. You know, I I think like most things, all of us kind of gravitate towards stuff, or it happens by accident. But I I. How much time you got? <laughs> Tape's um, rolling. Well, it it here's the thing. I, the short version is this: I was um, I'm a retired firefighter by trade. That's what I did for a living. I, my my first big career, and um, I served there with the city of Fort Worth for about 20 years. Um, and then I decided to basically put in 20 and get out. And so I was going back to uh, my alma mater. And I was working on a grad studies program for history. And I was going to go pontificate historical facts to young minds. This is TCU, right? How boring is that? And, and you know, it was either that or being a lawyer. And I said, fuck being a lawyer. So right. I, I was going to do that. And I started coaching uh, there on campus. I, I started coaching a, a little private intramural gymnastic tumbling team. A team, well, that's a loose term. People who were wanting to still flip around. And then I, I got asked to be uh, the coach of their uh, varsity squad for cheerleading. And then I also was working in academic athletics at TCU as a tutor, and that turned into being an advisor. And mm-hmm. you know, I, and so I just kind of was working there at the campus doing odd jobs while I was also going to grad school. And so uh, somebody saw me coaching one day, and it was a parent of one of these seniors that I'd coached for four years you know, through there. And, and I thought, you know – Eh, you know, I'm just kind of, no, not me. You know, I'm not a coach, really. Um, but I got to thinking about it, and I ended up opening up a small studio, uh, about 1,600 square foot. It was every, every square inch of it was spring floor. Did you finish your grad studies? or I got with, okay, so, oh, different story. Here we go. We're going back up. <laughs> Everything's a long story. These conversations are going to be all over story. the place. <laughs> right. We're going to go down many wormholes. So hang on to your seats, everyone. Oh, well, uh, I got within three hours of finishing my thesis. And I realized that I did not want to play in their sandbox. Uh, I was going to go on to, to do the full PhD thing, but I hated uh, to see adults who were, frankly, at my age at that time, I was an older student. Mm-hmm. I, I'm non-traditionalist, as you've noticed in our last 24 hours conversation. Yep. Yep. But I said, you know, screw this. I don't want to be that guy. Um, I saw adults fighting over academia minutia. Right. And I just said, if this is what teaching history requires, well, fuck this. I'm out. Um, I've always had an entrepreneurial steward, uh, a spirit. And so that's really kind of one of those things. I just said, I'm going to go start a business. You did that. You got that far along before you figured that out. I've had a lot of people what say that to so me. took you so long? I, Jeez, I'm, I'm, you you could have done bloomer. that in the first three hours. Come on. I'm a late bloomer. I, I don't know what to wow. tell you. I'm slow. Wow. But I, but I did love history. I mean, I love it. It, yeah. it, it is yeah. one of those things. I was a double major undergrad for history and philosophy, and those things feed me. And, and so long story short of it, I ended up coaching um, just, frankly, kids and, and went back to my roots of how coaches used to coach me and, uh, in my sport. And then uh, I parlayed that 1,600 square foot into a, a 12,000 indoor uh, facility that we, we bought three acres. We built the building. We did a an outdoor training facility called Hell's Half Acre that was an outdoor 
bodyweight training facility. And so, yeah, we went there, but in, in all of that happened and I heard about CrossFit and I literally, you know, when I met the, the powers that be, they, they said, you know, you speak our language, you know, I, I mean, I was being former firefighter and mm-hmm. I was also a police officer. I mean, I wore a lot of hats on that job, a, a arson investigator and bomb tech. I, I, I'd done my training through FBI, ATF, uh, Redstone Arsenal Army Base out in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, uh, so it really kind of, it kind of fit that niche right. of my genre there. So yeah, it, it, and all that turned into a seminar that I, you know, I basically sat down and did the syllabus and off we go. I mean, it's, that's the short version. <laughs> so, you, so you mentioned cheerleading. Yeah. What what made you qualified to teach cheerleading? It's a really good question. Just like I'm, girls, or, I, 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 <laughs> the college age, it's it's not a girls' sport. It's a no. It's very athletic. It's You're very in gym- Texas. Yeah, I better I better retrace. Yeah, retract. And my wife is a former cheerleader. Yeah. she's gonna kick my ass yeah. if she hears this podcast. Yeah, you, you may be in trouble. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, okay. So when I was an undergrad at TCU, again, non traditional. Uh, I didn't start college. I was twenty eight. And I met my wife, Tracy, there. And she was, um, I think, an alternate at that time on the cheer squad. So I was following her around like a little puppy dog. And, there you go. And then, but I, because I had done gymnastics, I mean, I had the strength development for it. And then when I got to find out that you threw pretty good little girls up in the air and, you know, you kind of politely look up their skirt sure. while they're in the air. I mean, I was having a good time. <laughs> uh, so, so I did. I mean, I, I ended up, they, they called me. I was... They called me the old man, you know, and, uh-huh. and, but I had a blast. So I, when I went to TCU, I really wanted to get as much of the experience of that college as I could. I mean, from a personal experience and I was a full-time student. I was a full-time firefighter there at the city. And, and so the hard part was when the firefighters found out that I was cheering oh, for TCU. Yeah, that was a bitch. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I come to the fire station and be pom-poms <laughs> glued to my helmet. I'm not shitting you. Glued to my helmet. They took my name off my coat and put Raw Raw on there. So oh, I didn't know God. that until I went to a fire and the chief called me. <laughs> He's like, Tucker, why is your name not on the back of your truck, the back of your, your, your bunker coat? I said, well, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, well, it says Raw Raw. What's this bullshit about? You know, sorry, chief. Yeah, I, I mean, so yeah, the shenanigan. But because that, I had done that. Did that ever subside? Over no, no, it years? never quit. I, right. We quit right. when I finally left the job. Right. You know? But the nickname stuck. And yeah. But I... You know, I would laugh at Look, man, if you let them see blood and water at the fire hall, you're screwed. Yeah, so, right, yeah. right. But that parlayed into that parlayed into the position, honestly, later. Uh, gosh, I mean, that was I was an undergrad in the early '90s, and then when I retired from fire service was 2001. And so, and I and I liked I, I liked the. I mean, we were at TCU. It was a great campus. At, you know, Fort Worth's a cow town. I, I I was having a good time, man. Good stuff. So so you opened this gym mm-hmm. and. Um, were working were you mostly working with kids or or was it adults or it was kids we we really we started a program where we did taekwondo we did tumbling we had trampoline work we did power tumbling uh we had a little bit of apparatus in there but i didn't want to get into that because it's a very different it's a whole different set of liabilities i just frankly didn't want to take on right so no pit no we had a pit. No, we, we had a pit. pit. Oh, yeah, because that's I mean, a we had a tumbling too, right? Pit. That's a yeah. I mean, it was a legit. As far as a tumbling studio goes, it was spot on. Here's the funny thing: we opened in 2007 ish, and of course, that's right at the height of the big, the big short, right, the big fall yep. in the market. So, 
uh, we actually were going to open that as a cheerleading studio, hmm. mainstream cheerleading. Well, we quickly learned that it was going to take a long time to get individuals loyal to you for, for that type of, of sport our genre. And so I just said, well, crap, let's just go back to what I know. Let's just do the tumbling thing. And, yep. and it, yeah, we had about 500 clients in that first year, which was great. Right. You know, we skated through and, uh, you know, it was kind of a cyclical thing. It was seasonal for a lot of people, but we did Taekwondo and then we did outside, we would do youth sports training. So do the skill development for baseball, football, soccer, that kind of thing. Because really up until CrossFit came along, as least as far as I know, there wasn't much of a conversation about gymnastics for adults. I don't think so. Like I, 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 I don't wouldn't, remember any. Yeah. I mean, I was in the fitness world for 15 years before CrossFit and I don't nobody think talked so. about gymnastics yeah. for adults. Yeah. I, I mean, we would, we would have some adults who would come in because we built a new facility. Now, this was prior to becoming CrossFit. And I actually let some people who would come in and work on those types of skills. But that's a whole other bag of worms to yeah. deal with. But, but no, I, I don't think so. And I think, I think that's one of the things that I would – give a hat tip to CrossFit about is that they've certainly allowed us to teach a, a multitude of ages and backgrounds and, um, and it's, and it's challenging, you know, because each, it re- frankly, each individual is different. They've got mm-hmm. a different background, different history, different sport, or maybe they've been a couch potato. So, you know, when you tell somebody they're going to do a front and back lever that weekend and they don't even know what it is, it raises a lot of eyebrows. Well, it's also, you're dealing with, um, you know, just one issue that, that, is probably the most universally applicable issue that we all deal with if we're in the fitness world at all is, is poor posture. Yeah. And so you're dealing with these shoulders that have been sitting in a kyphotic, you know, upper thoracic spine, which affects your ability to arch your back or just take your arms up over your head. Yeah. You can't take your arms up over your head because your, your back has to overarch and that messes up your lumbar lumbar. And you, right. I mean, that's a normal thing in gymnastics. You need, you, well, you, and, you have you to know, be able to stay hollow right. and get your arms up over your head and, right. Well, I mean, and, and that's the other thing, too. I mean, and, and frankly, I mean, we use the term gymnastics, but, but frankly, it's a bastardized form of that sport training. And the reason I say that is because a lot of true gymnastics, if, if I put on my gymnastic hat for a moment, yeah, well, there's yeah. going to be some very specific things that you're going to have to go through in basic skills before you even attempt a, an intermediate movement, right? Right, right. So, that means months, if not years worth of specific training. It's so funny you say that. So uh, about a year ago when uh, I had sold the gym and I was kind of searching for what am I going to keep doing CrossFit? What am I going to do? I found, I just, I bumped into gymnastic skills training. Uh, mm-hmm. no, uh, GST. Yeah. Uh, no, is it GST? It Chris Somers thing. Oh yeah. 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 Coach yeah. Somers. Uh, gymnastic bodies. Gymnastic bodies. Yeah. What is GST? Yeah, whatever. Doesn't matter. Um, and I started moving along in it mm-hmm. because I was pretty capable in a lot of ways. But then I, you know, and his is very leveled and very structured and very, mm-hmm. you know, and I started moving my way through it. And then I got to the point where everybody gets to the spot where they, they are stuck, yeah. where they, they just can't move any further. And his program, when you stuck... You're stuck. Oh, you're screwed. You're stuck yeah. for, you know, I was doing hollow rocks. My, my, the ab part, I was probably, the funny thing is I've got what I thought was pretty strong abs, <laughs> but I was stuck on doing, you know, it, the, the standard is five sets of 60 hollow rocks mm-hmm. and you start off with 
bent knee, right. you know, holding your knees. Right, right, right. And then you progress to not holding your knees. Yeah. And then you then you go to a straddle position. Straddle. Yeah. And I was stuck on each one of those yeah. for months yeah. to, to be able to do five sets of 60. Yeah. Well, and, 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 uh, I'll, and I'll say and this. I, and I just got... I just got burnt out. I mean, I, I was like, this is just not fun. I don't, I, I, there's, for me, my training has to have an element of fun to it. And this is just like beating my head against the wall. Like, where's the fun? Well, and, and, and that's it. And, and so, and, and this is nothing against Coach Summers when I say No, it. it's fantastic. Yeah. It's a tr- fantastic program. It's a gymnastic program. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yep. It, it, for, for me, I viewed it differently. It came down to, if I have an individual come to me, the first thing I want to know is what is their goal set? What are they really wanting to accomplish? If it, you know, do you just want to learn to be on your hands inverted? Do you want to do anything that's an intermediate or advanced movement? Or do you just want to know what, you know, spatial awareness is, kinesthetic awareness, right? Um, and so if you've got 30 people in a seminar for the weekend, you've just met them for the first time, that first four hours is extreme. What, what they don't understand is we're just watching the herd. Yep. You know, we're seeing... Okay, I'm putting them through tasks. This is how you move. Can you follow simple direction? Uh, we do a multiple spot scenario. I mean, there's a lot of things that are, that are happening in that first few hours just to get them up to speed about knowing where they stand as an athlete, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even something as simple as I'll get them into an arabesque where they're on one pedestal leg, a leg behind them, and arms out to the side oh, yeah. and balance, right? Well, everyone in the room is going to have a different form for that right. based off mobility, flexibility, stability, balance, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, and more, you know, I mean, if I tell them to point their toe, well, you know, why? I'm not competing at the Olympics. Well, because if you point your toe, you balled up your calf, your quad's engaged. Everything from your toenail up to your hip is engaged in the movement. It, so it's amazing it what the toe point does. And I didn't yeah. understand that when I first was, remember yeah. like the story I was telling you about my handstands? Oh, yeah, yeah. Falling all over the house? Yeah. Never understood the toe point. And then I finally got the toe point. I'm right. like, oh, yeah, it connects everything. Yeah, you're, the it whole makes, body. The whole it makes yeah. a difference between not a handstand and a handstand. It's well, amazing. imagine imagine this: if you pick up an individual off the floor and they're tight, full tight body form, is that not an easier weight to pick up than the one that is loose? And and you know if you got somebody just dangling there, well, you just got flesh going every direction, right? And they're harder to pick up off the ground. Well, you would know that you're a firefighter. Yeah. I know that I was a marine. Oh yeah. Most people they don't probably know. haven't ever done that, right. you know, like, but, but, but like because when I, when we used to do the buddy carry, you know, mm-hmm. like a fireman's carry or do a relay race where we, we would do that in the Marines and, or, you know, workouts where right, you have right. to pick up your buddy. Right. When your buddy is conscious and they're just, they're not even rigid. They're just yeah. helping you a little bit right. versus a, a, you know, where there were some other exercises we had to do with a real dummy. Yeah. That's 160 pounds. Yeah. And you try to pick that up and yeah. get that over your shoulder Different story. There's a technique. Different yeah. story. And it is a different story. And 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 so, the, but the thing is, you you, know, you alluded to something earlier uh, in your comment, and that is that it became boring and hard. And that's kind of another thing that we had to take on is how do we make sure that they stay engaged, but also after we leave, how do they continue their journey? Right. Right. right? Because it, the the one thing that I've heard as a complaint from that particular uh, uh, online. Like the, the gymnasts, yeah, the online the gymnastic gymnasts. thing yeah. is, is that people normally tend to give up because it becomes difficult. Right. And I get that. We're all human, you know, and especially if you've got the individual that hasn't done all the prerequisite development, strength development, et cetera, form development. Um, you know, for some people to walk upside down on their hands, you might as well just tell them to go walk on the moon. You know, it's a right. totally different language. Right. 
And, and you and I chatted about that a little bit earlier. So here I've got them doing a plethora of very specific tasks to develop uh, wrist flexibility. To de- you know, to- And my God, Andy, I mean, think about just injuries you got in the Marine Corps, right? They follow you. They don't just go yeah, away. Yeah. So it, you, you've got different individuals you're dealing with, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. And that's where I would get into, frankly, a lot of philosophical conversations with coaches because they're like, you know, you, there's no reason for anybody to work on a back lever until they have X. And I'm like, you know what? If an athlete walks in there and I see that they're an athlete and they can pull their body weight up above a bar, I can get them in a back lever. I don't right. have to do 20 different movements of prerequisite work to get them there. Right. And I can damn sure do it if I got double spots going on with other people who are waiting in line to go the next turn. Right. So that's where I think. And Rob Wolf and I talked about this on his podcast. It, the gymnastic community has finally, in this last decade, realized, well, you know what? Maybe we need a class for adults. Right. Maybe we right. need to look at it differently and not be completely blinders on gymnastic-only purist. And that's, that's what I've gotten from a lot of people who go that route. Now, it, he's right in the sense that it takes nothing away from that development over time, but Look, man, if I'm dealing with somebody like you who, I mean, you look like you're 30, don't get me wrong, but we, <laughs> we know you're a little older. I'm not. Older. Yeah, I'm we, not. Yeah. You know, but, but if I'm dealing with somebody who's in their 50s, my first questions are going to be, okay, what did you used to do? How did you do it? What are your injuries? What are your fear factors? You know, those types of things. Mm-hmm. I, I've got individuals who won't do a simple forward row. Right. A forward row. Right. You know, because they're worried about breaking their neck, let alone a, a handstand forward row. Right. And even a handstand forward roll is nothing more than a controlled fall into a row. So yeah. there's a lot to, to, to work through. And, and I think where we have had strength uh, in our program is, is understanding that it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Nobody has to follow all the rules. If There are some things that can be bent. We don't want to break them, but they can be bent going toward movement. That's my opinion. Have you um, ever had someone – well – I was going to say, have you ever had someone that you couldn't get past square one? Like, wh- what is square one? Oh shit! Is it different for everybody? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you teach a cert, and well, you're, you've got two. You got two days to affect thirty, forty, fifty I think, people. I, I think square one really is a combination of things. It, it's one under really under really understanding what spatial awareness is. To know that when you, if I ask you to get upside down on a pair of rings with your toes and ankles and uh, knees and hips stacked directly over your shoulders, just hanging on rings. We're just upside down. Mm -hmm. We're at zero, right? We're at zero plane. You mean hanging, not in a handstand? No, just upside down. Just hanging upside down. Hanging upside down. Okay, got it. You know, you got got a full vertical body just upside down on rings, right? Yeah. And so basically the rings are going to be about at your hips. Your toes are up there. Your head's towards the ground, right? Just something as simple as that can be ground zero for somebody that they can't get past because they don't know what direction they're going. And, right. and here's another one. This is probably more common is just go to support on rings. Just jump up on the rings and, and hold yourself up. Yeah, you've got them at your hip, your head's up, your feet are down to the ground. If I do something as simple as say, okay, bring the rings in parallel to your body, that alone might just show that they have uh, a lack of prerequisite strength to control it. Then I say, well, turn your rings out about 45 degrees. What we normally will start seeing is a small earthquake happening, and then you see the rings going outside the body, and you start seeing elbows no longer locked out, and so we have to correct all of that, and that's just nothing more than a simple isometric hold. 
So if I take that and I say, okay, well, let's ramp it up a little bit. We've, we've gotten to where you can hit that. Now bring your knees to your chest. Now take your right leg and point it out in front, in front of you. Now take your left leg and put it out there. Now we're in an L set, right? Uh, or let's elevate that L set where it's you know, parallel to the floor and bring those toes up a little bit and push your hips through the ring some. We've, we've altered all the leverage and strength requirement just mm -hmm. with those simple little requests. And that's as basic as you can get on rings. So a lot of really strong people get in that position and they go, what is wrong with me? <laughs> right. You know, why? I mean, frustration, you see that creeping in. Yep. And you've got to be the supportive coach. You've got to say, well, here's why. You know, you're not used to training isometric forms and poses on rings. You're not used to holding that for two, three, five seconds. What, what causes the earthquake? An inability of strength. I mean, just simple as that. That's the simple mm -hmm. one. Now, you've got the small muscles going up to the elbow, like the for, flexors and extenders. For anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about, so if, you, if, um, if you've never been on a pair of rings, um, how can, what's the easy way to describe this? If you, if, you go, if you go in front of your desk and you stand up in front of your desk and you put your hands on your desk and you just put your hands down and you just hold yourself up yeah. uh, you, or behind you. Or two chairs. Or two, or two chairs. chairs. Two yeah. chairs behind, beside each other and you stand in between them. Yeah. You can support yourself up. Right. I mean, that might be hard for some yeah. people. Yeah. Um, but then you add, you put them on rings and rings are hanging from a, you know, a height above right. the ceiling and they're unstable. And all of a sudden, what, what Jeff's talking about is this earthquake, which is this shaking, this uncontrollable right. shaking that happens almost immediately yeah. when people have never done that before. And then they, you know, they invariably come down off the rings. And, 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 you'll, and that's the other thing, too, is what we do, our prerequisite for the course is we get them on a static plane first. So we'll put them on parallettes. Right. Now, if we see shaking on parallettes, what do we know is going to be inferred on rings? You're, you're not going to. You because shouldn't rings, even go to rings. Yeah. Right. Rings are a frictionless plane. Right. They can move anywhere. Right. So can you control that, pull it in? And a lot of people don't understand the, the, the turning of the rings and placement close to the body and locked out forms. And then, you know, you've got, you, it could be something as simple as their flexors and extenders and their arms are not strong enough. It could be that that they don't understand how to engage core into that movement and make their whole body tight. Right. Um, and, and the core doesn't start at your abs. It starts at your traps all the way down to your quads. So it's your trunk. And so they've never had that requirement placed on them to get into a position of just isometric pose for mm. five seconds. Right. And then we can make that way hard over time. So there's lots of things we can do there. But, but we check them out that way that first four hours. You know, can, you, can you do a proper lunge? Can you do a lunge with your arms over your head? And then can you reverse it? Can you walk backwards? And the reason we do that is because you take away the visual stimuli. Mm -hmm. Well, you'd be surprised if people just fall over walking backwards in a lunge. With their eyes open? With their eyes open. Really? Because they don't understand. that That's the first key to spatial awareness. Right, right. You, take a, you, you can't see yourself move on rings. You have to feel right, it. Right. And so we, we use all these basic movements. Like I told you coming in, we, we do at least 100 different forms in that weekend. Mm -hmm. Now that breaks down to, if we were looking at total moves, we're probably doing about 15 to maybe 20, like front lever, back lever, L-set, plunge, mm -hmm. all these things, right? But we do a buttload of prerequisite movement. You're, you're hollow, you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So let me get you into hollow. This is what it feels like. You're not arching your back. You're contracting your rib cage to your hip and you're, you're engaging that musculature to be stronger. Do you teach that from laying on your back? I always start on the ground. We, we don't even get up on apparatus until they've shown me some stuff. Right. Yeah. right so it's right. always on the ground for about the first hour or so. I remember when I first learned hollow, um, 
learning it in a bent knee position. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, then what was remarkable for me was flipping over yeah. and, and learning like sucking my, this part of my body off the ground yeah. and making that hollow yeah. and feeling that and squeezing butt cheeks and right. getting that position like that was like, Oh, Oh, that's what right. this is. If we put it in a push up, I mean, we'll make you get into a hollow position, a push up and right. a pull up, a, a variety of movements. Right. Because you've got to have that understanding of that contraction. When, Why is that so important? Like, can you talk about that? What, what does the that The hollow do? is everything in gymnastics. Right. It's the opposite, right, of a squat, of it, an arched back squat. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I'll even go so far as to say this. In Olympic lifting, uh, or picking up kettlebell up, if, if, or if, if I was going to walk over to you right now and punch you in the stomach, are you going to arch your back? No. No, you're not. Heck no. <laughs> so the same thing happens on a barbell and a kettlebell, and even in a squat. When you do a squat, what might look like a, a, a curvature of the lumbar spine mm-hmm. is not going on as much as you think, especially in a deadlift. If you watch a deadlift, there is a contraction of your rib cage, your costal arch to your hip. Well, that is for stability. Right. You know, you would never do an L-sit in an arched body form because it's harder. If you if you got lumbar curve going on, I'm telling you, man, you better have a hell of an upper body. I can't uh, even picture how that's possible yeah well and i'll tell you a story I'm sure about there's that some later. flexible yeah. people that could do that but i'm not i married. had a medical doctor at a, at a cert one time tell me like you're supposed to be there's supposed to be a lumbar curve here and i'm like in an l-sit yeah in an l-sit and i said look you're probably a very good doctor at what you you specialize in yeah but you are three kinds of wrong here <laughs> and i proved it to him now in gymnastics we do things like a tight arch we, but that's old school gymnastics. That's going way, way back, and it's a more difficult movement. You got to have a great compensation going on with your primary movers of your pec, shoulder, lats. Uh, How did you, you prove get, it to him? Huh? What did you do to prove it to him? I got him in the position. I, I had him get into an L set, and, and at first I had him no load out in front of him. I had him just tuck his knees. Yep. I said, "Oh, go ahead, big boy. Arch, go to, go to arch, your, arch back. your back." Right. And he's shaking all over the place, and his knees are dropping. <laughs> I said, "Now let's get you into the real movement. Here's an L set. Right. Now please arch, arch your back, back for me. Disengage your core. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't even make sense. Doesn't make sense at all, right? Oh, right. Well, and and we ended up drinking a whiskey later that night and became friends. Right. But he's like, "Okay, I get it. I'm sorry. You're right. you're right." <laughs> and and so, but but. You know, things as simple as an L-set and learning to contract that and know that it, you know, boxers use it, weightlifters use it. Uh, tennis players, when they're coming across with a hard spin on the top of that ball, do you think their back is arched when they're hitting it? No, no they're, no. they're just putting all of their musculature in it and that force into it. So mm. it's it's a huge component of what we do in gymnastics. You must mm. have stability. Mm. Uh, another thing to consider here, too, when you do a bench press, right, are you filling up that thoracic cavity with air and then you just blow it all out as you do your 300-pound bench press? No, you're holding your breath. Right. Yeah. So if you're holding it, what's going on with your, your core? It's contracted. It's to contracting against the pressure exactly. the, to, to exactly. increase the intra-thoracic yeah. pressure. It's that simple. It's that simple. So if I'm hmm. inverted in a handstand, stacked perfectly, I don't have an arched back. Right. If I do, it's a very old-school handstand. It's a bad habit. Or it's you don't know what you're doing. Or if you don't know what you're doing. I mean, most of the people that I see kick up in the gym, that kick up to a handstand that don't have any training, right. that's what they do. Yeah. They're overarched. They're way overarched. Yeah. You know, their legs are flopping. Everywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was me. Yeah. That well, was what I, you know, I was a, I was a complete hazard upside yeah. down. Yeah. Um, Thank God you fixed that. That's oh, good. man. But no, but that's everything. And so it starts with that basic movement. And we, we teach it um, in something as simple as just holding the form, learning to rock with it. 
uh, candlesticks. I mean, there's a, pl- a plethora of things that we do where we develop that, that, okay, when I ask you to hollow, it's going to be in there. If I tell you to, if I tell you to do a front lever, more than likely the contraction in that for the hollow is going to be far more difficult than in an inverted handstand. You're almost, I tell people all the time, believe it or not, you're actually kind of relaxed in a handstand, but you still have that tight body form. If you let go of it, it's a huge issue, but I don't want you looking like a banana shaped the other way right. in a massive hollow contraction. I want I want a perfect stacking. Now we're inverted right. on hands. So it, it's a slider contraction. You should almost be able to breathe as you do your inverted stuff. When you say you're relaxing a handstand, so one of the questions I've always had about that is, do you are you in an active or passive shoulder position? You're in an active shoulder girdle position. So I don't mean to say that you're relaxing joints and things like that. Because if I put a barbell over your head, what's the safest way for you to be locked out? Yeah. But I'm talking about we're not so overly tight in the body that it's it starting to cost Charlie horses everywhere, right? right, right so there's right, a little right. bit more of a relaxed state. But so that. you're you're not down here. You're no, not no, no. I want you pushing those shoulders and latch shoulders. up. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How, if someone wanted to experience at home, I was just thinking about this while we were talking. You know, they don't know what we're talking about. What's right. hollow? What's hollow in the arch? Yeah. How can you talk them through something like right now? They would. Oh yeah. Like in a minute. Yeah. What would what should they do? So the. the so first thing that I'll do is I'll have them lay on the ground and uh-huh. we, we demonstrate that in just a natural supine position that they've That's got face up. Yeah. Face up. Sorry. I, I went and got smart for a second. So they're face up. And so that you can see a natural curve and they can take their hand and put it under their back and they can right. feel that natural curve. There's a space there. And that what I want them to do is I want that to go away. And the way I want it to go away is I want their hands and their arms uh, about six inches off the ground and I want their feet about six inches off the ground and I want them to contract the bottom of their rib cage to the hip. And they're going to look like, uh, hopefully, a, a little bit of a Chiquita banana. They're going to look a little curved there, right? And they'll. Hands at their sides hand, here? I put, or, them, I put their hands above their arms. Or over, over their head, I'm sorry, but over their head. Okay. So I want, when I say hollow, I want their hands and feet to come off the ground about six inches. And as that happens simultaneously, I want you to contract your rib cage to your hip, and everything becomes one solid muscle. Right. Legs are together, toes are pointed, arms extended. Uh, shoulders open, but but hands off the ground. And so there's a slight curvature of the body and they should feel their lower back make contact. And I'll come up next to them and I'll try to slide my hand into their back. If mm-hmm. I can't, then they've hit it. Now, if I've got, you know, frankly, somebody who doesn't really get it, they normally, what they do is they suck in their gut, mm-hmm. they arch their back, they mm-hmm. still have a curvature. So if I keep running into that issue, I say, okay, I want you to put your hands and your feet together above you. Well, they're instantly in a hollow position. They can't help it's, it. Yeah, it's extreme. Yeah. And then I'm going to say now lower down to that six inches requirement, and they'll feel the difference. Do you ever have somebody do it with bent knees because oh, it's yeah. too do, intense on the straight Do legs? bent knees all the yeah. time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and bent knees is is probably, if I were to back up, you know, if I've got a, like I said, I kind of watch them move a little bit. Right. Anybody in there, I'll bring their knees up and get their hands over their knees, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crunch, essentially. Yeah, right. Uh, so you're holding a static crunch. But you learn to hold that. In these elongated positions, which because are these, most of our positions are elongated, and you and that's the extended lever that makes it so difficult. True, true. And then you say, okay, well now I want you to start rocking, right, and then it's a whole different, a whole different story. ball. So right. you've got to have momentum of some type and movement with that hollow contraction still foregoing, and you've got to be able to maintain the 
structural integrity mm-hmm. against dynamic loads right. that keep moving and right. rock and you know as you change mm-hmm. direction on every yeah. rock is a dynamic load change and the bigger it gets the more difficult it comes to right. hold it. so if I, I can make you rock really big if you'll hold it together yeah and if you have a bit more curvature to the body well it's a it's a larger rocking mechanism of the body all elongated all one type piece of muscle and and so yeah it, it you've got to engage it when you teach the handstand, do you teach it as a, do you lunge, teach the over, stand over, uh, arms overhead, lunge into the handstand? I, I, you know, and that's, a, and the short answer is yes. And mainly because that's what most people kind of see is they, they're going to kick up to handstand. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of different schools of thought on this. If I were to go back to my old gymnastic years, we were always facing the wall with our abdomen to the wall. Right. So we would cartwheel into a handstand. Which, but that's advanced. I mean, yeah, that's, it is. Uh, and it, it's really advanced for the individual not, who's never not been a hobbyist. A hobbyist is not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so what we do is we start with something as simple as a lunge, but we don't even let them kick up until they understand that they've got to have a locked out elbow and shoulder. Mm-hmm. And so we get them into almost what looks like a runner pose. They've got a leg behind them. Uh, which will be their kick-up leg. They have mm-hmm. a pedestal leg that's slightly bent, and they're reaching out, looking like they're at the starting gate of a track meet. Right? Oh, okay. But I've got to see pressing shoulders, locked-out elbows, mm-hmm. the correct width of their hand placement, and then I have spotters stand on either side. One is receiving the pedestal leg eventually, and the other is receiving the kick-up leg immediately. And so we teach them to spot, where to place their feet, that kind of thing. There's a lot of safety mechanisms going in here. Right, right. Uh, and we do things called little donkey kicks. They kind of learn to just kick up a little bit, kind of see what it's like to stay locked out. Don't mm-hmm. bend the elbows. Don't bend the shoulders because we give a shit about your cervical spine. Right, you know? right. So once they prove these little things to us, well, then we'll have them kick up into a full handstand. And the spotters know that they're there for both you know, mental and physical support. I mean, they have to realize that they're supporting their entire body weight. Yeah. Which, if it was a barbell, yeah. for most people that are adults, it's over 110 10 pounds yeah. for most people. Yeah. Um, it, you wouldn't, there's no, I mean, if I think about a, my wife, she's five feet tall, she's 103 pounds. Right. I wouldn't load up a 103 pound barbell and hand it to her and say, take this over your head. Well, careful, and, you're using logic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, come on. But, but people don't, what I'm, I guess what yeah. I'm getting at is people don't realize they don't. that this is going to be heavy. <laughs> this is well, gonna... and imagine this. Imagine if you didn't go through those cues to slow them down, woe them up, they're going to throw force at you. Right. So right. imagine them throwing force at you, inverted on their hands, they bend their elbows, and they're not locked out with their shoulders. Yeah, just... You got a problem. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, can, you could have a very significant injury. Right. So a lot of it is just understanding this is how we spot, this is how they receive you, this is your requirement to protect your safety in the, in the movement. Mm-hmm. Now, once they show me the basics... Uh, and I mean, we go through this repetitively. I mean, we're, we're creating motor pathways, uh-huh. good habits, good virtuosity. And then I'll say, okay, we're going to kick up on the next one. And nobody goes until I call it. Spotter's ready, kick up. And, and just throw enough force to get inverted. Uh-huh. Now, every now and then you've got, frankly, a booger eating moron who decides to come at them like a bullet train. Uh-huh. And so this, but the spotter's ready to do their job. Right. You know, and then they go, okay, well, don't throw so much power at that one. Back right, off. Right, right. You know, and they find that sweet spot. And they learn to get inverted. And then we just basically become a little halo around them on the leg spot. Right. And they don't even get to let go of them until they show me very specific virtuosity. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we just start ramping it up. It's amazing. when You know, when I was uh, learning how to do handstands, how long it took me 
to be able to hold even just five seconds. Mm -hmm. Like to the skill that's required. And this goes back to what you were saying before. If you were training a person to be a real gymnast, Mm -hmm. there's just prerequisites you have to get before you can even do something that's worthy of calling a skill. Right. Like, like being able to get up and kick into a handstand and hold for five seconds is not a skill. No. In gymnastics. That's not even a muscle up's not a skill in gymnastics. No, it's a non skill. Right. <clears throat> and it took me, I mean, I can't, it didn't take me less than four months to get a five second handstand. I mean, yeah. just and daily practice. I would spend yeah. 10 minutes a day just yeah. kicking up, kicking up, kicking up, kicking up, kicking up, and hundreds of times. I mean, there are probably more efficient ways to learn. I mean, yeah, I yeah. guarantee I didn't consult with people I probably <laughs> should have to ask how to do this. <laughs> But, um, but still it's, um, it's amazing how much practice it takes to yeah. figure that out. Cause of the, how, how much pressure is enough pressure? Right. And then how do you connect? The only thing that's touching the ground are your hands. Yeah. So the only thing you have to push against if you kick too hard is your hands. So let's go so, with that for a moment. So let me interrupt you here a second. Yeah. So everybody thinks your hand is flat on the ground. Well, there's actually a little pocket of air in your palm in the mat. You're actually pressing off your fingers and that top row of digits before it gets to your palm. Uh-huh. You know, so your balance actually doesn't come from, it should not come from your elbows or your shoulder. Your balance should just come from, your hand, right? from, from the hand going forward, you know, anterior, posterior, forward and back. And if you're stacked properly, feet over knees, over hips, over shoulders, over, over hands, then and you, and you know how to keep that body tight you can just simply adjust balance ever so slightly uh but if you look at gymnasts they're not relaxed in that hand at all they're pressing off the ground right so there's a con- you know th- think about what that means to the individual who weighs 110 versus 210 right i mean we get people that come in there six foot tall weigh 210 pounds right 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 you know, never done a handstand in their life right you know, you're like like you're spotting a moose over there right right you know but but that should not be something that should keep them from learning that specific skill. Because what I like to hear about your handstand story is this. It is the most underutilized, underrated. I mean, people don't understand what the handstand really does for you. And so if you get that skill down, you learn to just get inverted and balance and can hang out. And then you can kind of balance on one hand and the other. Or you start to learn to list your body left and right mm-hmm. and all of it's one nice tight, you know, unit, whether it's in a straddle or a straight leg. And you feel all that weight for, in other words, it's almost like your opposite hip is in line with your shoulder and your hand as you balance on one hand. So if, if I go left, for example, I'm going to balance on my left arm. Well, my right hip is coming over to balance over that left shoulder and left hand right, and right. vice versa. So then we push you against the wall and let you learn to rock. You learn these mm-hmm. little bitty things that turn into walking on hands. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, next thing you know, you're in Vegas and you're working for Circus Olay. So, right. Yeah. Right. But it starts with the basics, all of its basics. Yeah. If yeah. you don't have that down, you're getting the cart before the horse. Yeah. I, I started a program. Um, it's funny. I was just trying to think of what it's called. It just blew out of my head. Um, that's why I got the acronym messed up last time it's called gmb okay gold medal bodies yeah and it was started by a guy who um was actually one of the coaches for the whole life challenge and the last challenge and was on the podcast ryan hurst yeah yeah and um and that's a different program it's a different program and one of the things i got from that was i some of he has you do bear walks and monkey walks and um and it's funny given my 
ability to already do handstands, it it made my skill level just rocket. Right, right. Got so much more solid being able to kick up yeah. into the yeah. handstand. But it wasn't, it was like an end around because it really wasn't about gymnastics. It right. was about just doing animal walking. It's prerequisite you know? strength development. Right. That's what it is. You're right. going, you're, you know, and, and we do things like gymnastic squats where we, we get into a squat position and we leap vertically as far as we can. And, you know, of course we're barefoot too in our training. I mean, yep. those are even something as simple as shoes. I tell people all the time. Yeah. That, what is, tell me about that. You know, I, well, and here's a, there's a couple of things, a school of thoughts on that too, but everything we did was, was barefoot. So it's a different kind of connection with the earth. I mean, frankly, and, all of a sudden, I sound like a yogi. <laughs> I am not a yogi. Uh, it's a different kind of connection with yeah, the earth. Yeah, right. you know, we got to feel Mother Earth. we right. got to feel her. But here's the thing. So when I have people do things like, we'll do a cross-legged, one-legged squat, okay? And, and when I'm coaching, I have a row going, and I don't let anybody go. We're watching four people at a time move, maybe. And I tell everybody to watch and look because they're going to telegraph to you issues just when they move. Mm -hmm. Well, what that, what that foot thing does, I mean, no disrespect to Nike or Reebok or anybody, but they've sold us a bill of goods for decades now right. about what shoes do for support. And it's bullshit. You know, have somebody wear a running shoe and, and, and do a lunge or a one legged balance movement and then take that shoe off and see the body react differently. And I'm talking about where the ankle will, will adjust for balance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, well, if we, you've got squishiness under your foot, well, you got that. If you've it, no, if you have squishiness yeah. in a in a, and you're wearing a shoe, yeah, in, your ankle wants to react to yeah. something going on to keep your balance. Yeah. but instead of it adjusting and moving your body, the shoe squishes. Well, that's what I'm getting. So yeah. nothing happens. Well, think about the anterior posterior movement going on, right? Uh, uh, you know, the the supination and the pronation going on, the medial lateral. I mean it. It, it, you are constantly trying to adjust and essentially a sock that moves. Your, your, right. your shoe is moving. Right, right. Right? And, and, and if you get something really extreme, it's moving a lot. Right. Or you've got an elevated platform. You're trying to be level on a flat platform with an elevated platform in a shoe. Right, right, Okay, right. so get rid of that and use what God gave you. Because it's anatomically designed very well for lots of things. So we, we start with shoes on, and then we take our shoes off, and it's kind of like they all have the epiphany. The light goes on. So, yeah. and there's, here's we, do this, we do the very similar thing for barefoot running. Yeah, okay. And that's yeah. a very similar thing. Exactly. The proprioception you get yeah. from barefoot is far and away. Right. You know? Right. And there's that connection, literally, to what you're on, your foundation, yeah. right? And, and so, it, it, but even the same thing where it sings the most is when I get them into an arabesque and which I've had lots of people, you know, gymnasts just laugh about that. Like, why the hell are you have them doing that? And I said, well, I can find out what some people don't know what their dominant body side is. Are they right legged, left legged? Hmm. And so they don't know where their balance is. But I tell them all the time, if you're going to train the right side of your body to balance, you must train the left side of your body. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a 15 second hold and a perfect arabesque form on the right leg, now it's time to achieve it with the left. I don't know what I would do. Well, I, you might be surprised. It, I don't know which it, my, was my... I mean, I know which way I snowboard. Right. I go left foot forward. That's my, my dominant okay. foot forward snowboarding. When you run, what, if you're going to run out of the room right now, what, what, what leg do you think you're going to... I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, it's something we'll look at. How, so if I did an arabesque right now... Oh, God, this is going to be good. <laughs> just pick a foot to start with? Yeah, pick, pick whichever you think. Okay. Now just hold that. Five... Four, three, 
to recover. Now, you didn't point your back toe, but I'm going to forgive you that. So, Crap, I just spilled water. All oh, over my God. Hold on. Let <laughs> so, me pause this. Let me pause this. And we're back. Uh, okay. okay. So, so now I'm going to go to the other leg. side, right? Yeah, we're, we're going to switch legs. All right. So that was on my left now, leg. Now, if you feel that you're going to fall, obviously bring your leg down. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just going to go on the opposite leg and point your toe behind you. Try to lock out that pedestal leg. And there's five seconds. Okay. So both of those are good. Now you've got different flexibility and mobility. Yes. Right leg, left leg. Yeah. So go to the stronger one would be your left leg. So I'm going to give you a curveball. You ready? All right. So just do what I ask you to do. But if All you right. get in trouble, bring your leg down. Yeah. Right? right. So go ahead and hit your arabesque form. Right. Hold that. Now close your eyes. Take a break. Okay, so Timber. just for the record, <laughs> it was a burning plane out of the skies falling to earth. So did you see, did you, tell me what you, tell me what you felt in that. I was fearful immediately when you said that, like, oh, I don't want to do that. Okay. And then I shut my eyes and I was surprised that I didn't immediately lose my balance. Right. Because I thought I would literally immediately lose my balance. Right. It took like three seconds or four yeah. seconds, which is somewhat immediate. <laughs> And then it got it got more demonstrative the longer you were holding it without your vision. Yeah, I wasn't going to get back. Right. So you know? that's what we try to do to get people to understand that when we take your one sense away, that the vision, because you can't see yourself do specific things. What is it like to to have that loss of right. of kinesthetic awareness, spatial awareness? So does it, do you, like. can you actually train that? Oh, yeah. Do you train we blindfolded? Train that. We train that. Really? And we train that at the course. The, the reason we do that is because people, their fear factors tend to be, I'm inverted, I don't know where I'm at. Mm -hmm. I'm on rings upside down, where the hell am I? Right. You know, so if we tell them, for example, again, getting back into that zero degree inverted hang, yep. normally most of them are not at zero. They're way off, 5, 10, 15 degrees off. Huh. So we get them into position and get them stacked properly. It's okay. Now this is where you want to be. Did you feel the difference? Hmm. And they do because they have to feel it. They can't see it. Right. You know, they can't look, see where they're at in the air. Is it a little bit like when you are swinging a tennis racket and you suddenly hit a ball that feels completely effortless? Yeah, perfect. And it hits yeah. right in the middle of the sweet spot. So yeah, yeah. You're in their sweet spot. You are can you, just are you throw it. the ball accurately or right. whatever? Yeah, right. that's the feeling. And and. But you know when you don't do it properly. Right. And, right. and imagine that. Think about what if I took you out to the field outside and I said, okay, well, I'm going to stand down here and throw me a couple of balls. Now close your eyes and throw it to me. Right. You will eventually get to where you can do it. It's going to take some practice. But that's an understanding of not overcompensating because you've lost a particular sense. I, there's a book I read. Uh, I, I'm not peddling this guy, but I love this guy's view. Uh, it's called uh, The Element. And it... I hated it because it was in the self-help aisle, but I was in an airport one day, and I, when I traveled extensively, I'd read about a book a week. Uh -huh. So I saw it there, and it was like, how to follow your passions in life. You know? And I thought, oh, fuck. You know? <laughs> and know, yet you bought it. Yeah, and I bought it. Right, I, I, right, mean, I did buy it. Right. I mean, I just couldn't resist it, but it was a small read. Right. It was just a trip to Denmark. Everything was good. You know? so, but, but I bought it, and what I loved about it is he had a very different view. His name was, I think, Kenneth Robbins. Uh, and he had a very different view of of perception and you know he said so you think the sun's big right do you understand just how small the sun really is when he when we look at these other things in our atmosphere and mm -hmm. not atmosphere but universe and and then he would say things about even understanding individuals like um 
there was a story in there where he talked about a little girl just wouldn't sit still on her desk and you know she was always getting up and fidgeting in the room and the mother's upset so the mother takes her to a a psychologist because she's being told she's going to get kicked out of school and so they leave after talking to the mother a little bit in this office the doctor and the mother and the daughter are there i think she's about 12 and they they leave and what they did is they said now you know little susie you've been very good and i just need to show your mom something we'll be right back so they get up and leave right mm -hmm. now all this time the little girl's been sitting on her hands just she's being a good little girl because mm -hmm. she's been coached by mom to be a good girl. Mm -hmm. We've got to get a passing grade here. We've got to stay in school. So they go to a two-way mirror, and instantly upon leaving, she's up and she's dancing about the room. She's mm -hmm. swirling about the room. She, her hands are touching the library behind his desk, looking right, at his right. desk and dancing, right? And she said, my God, do you understand what we're dealing with? He goes, this is really simple. i got a prescription for you. you know, she's instantly thinking drugs, right? He goes, you need to just enroll her in dance school. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about perception. And, yeah, right, and, and, right. and so for me, what I loved about it, 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 there's a story in there about Fleetwood Mac. I mean, the guy was technically considered retarded. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and beat up as a kid and hmm. look at the drummer he became. So yeah. it, it does come to that. I know that's a long story there, but it, it comes to about how you want to perceive certain things. And, and when you take that vision away, how do you perceive it? Are you lost without it? Hmm. Uh, and the reality is you're not. If you'll practice and you feel things versus trying to look and get that sensory perception before attempting, it, it changes the game, man. It changes the game. When you're flipping in the air, do you think you have a focal point when you're doing a backflip? Well, I can answer that question. I think yes. There's a point I'm guessing, where you do. But I'm guessing that if you're good enough, no. Well, there's a point where you do. If, if I'm going to do a vertical jump, I have a focal plane when I bring my knees to my chest and I do a set and come around, mm -hmm. but most of it's feel after that. If I right. get up on handstands, you know, my focal plane will be, I, I try to, my, my coach always said, look at your wrist, you know, look between your, your wrists. That's where you're going to be looking. But there's a point where it takes time for that to happen, right? You've got to feel the movement. It's funny. Cause that, now that you're talking about this. So, um, the guy I learned gymnastics from Mike Cates at Broadway gymnastics, he, um, he's really old school. Mm -hmm. He grew up on, on Venice beach mm -hmm. doing gymnastics. He would use the, the, um, angled sand that yeah. goes down to the ocean as a, as a tumbling mat. Right. And they would do front handsprings on them and do tumbling rolls because it just gave them momentum and it right. made it safer, more room to mess up. Right. And, and it was back in the days when the, they had the, the rings were not just static rings. They right. were swinging rings. Right. 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 And, um, so he was willing to help me learn to do some really kind of advanced or more what I thought was more advanced stuff. Like I actually attempted a giant on, yeah. the, on the high bar. That's, that's an advanced skill. It's, yeah. And it's scary as yeah. hell. Uh, I never made it all the way around. I, I, really? I, I probably, cause I probably stopped doing it. My son was born and then I stopped. Were you using, I'm just curious, were you using grips? Or you're barehanded. I think I was barehanded. That's fuck, man. That's I tough. think. I think. I'm not. I don't remember. I might have been. No, I think I had grips. Okay. I, I remember talking to Dusty, and uh, Dusty let me borrow his grips. Yeah. Because um, they got a little dowel in them, and you yeah, can compress easier. Right. Yeah, and then yeah. you can really get a good. Well, I'm grip. glad you had that. Without them, I'm like, man, that really is old school. No, you know what? It was they had straps. Oh, he had you strapped on. He a, had me a strapped dowel. on. You were on a he dowel. Had, well, I was on a no. I was just on the high bar, but there was I was hooked to the high bar, so I right. couldn't come off. 
more than likely what you were hooked to was a dowel over the bar. In other words, it circles around the bar. Oh, maybe. I bet you probably that's what you were. I don't remember that. I don't yeah. remember that. You were scared, Chillis. Oh, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was scary. I mean, I got up. I was probably only here. Right. You know, which is like not even 80% of the way right. up. And I was right. like, oh, that's enough. Yeah. But but no, but I do remember doing a, uh, and I don't know what it's called. So when you do a muscle up to get a, into support, that's a muscle up. On a bar or it, where you're on? On, on rings. On rings, okay. Um, when you do the a, a backward somersault to get up to support. A backward roll of support. Backward, there you go, yeah. backward roll of support. Yeah. And we would work, he would work with him close to the ground, of course, and um, he would work with me on timing because it was really, for me, I was strong enough to do it. Mm. Um, but it was all about timing. And when I, there were a couple times when I got it and it felt, effort, it was effortless. Yeah. It was, it was nothing to do. Right. I, the, the times I didn't get it, it was, you know, I was, extending my back and panicking and might have opened your body, you know, open my body too soon. Yeah. And, but I had to feel it. Yeah. I had to experience it. I had to get the tap at the right moment to give right. me a cue to, right. to this is when you, when you open or right. whatever it was. And I finally got it. And then I didn't forget. Right. Like I, ha- I, I mean, I can, to this day, I shouldn't say that. I think I could probably do it. I don't yeah. know, I got this messed up shoulder, so I don't know what I could do. Well, and, and, and that's it's interesting. It, that's kind of the other thing, too, is like when we see a gymnast come to the course, normally their training shows through in every bit that they do for us. Um, you know, I can normally pick them out. Yep. But it, it, one of the biggest things that I tell people is the reason we have double spots on each side of the body is to learn what you just learned. You know, they one, here's the thing. They've got a connection to the earth. They've got a hand on them, yeah. right? I'm not going to fall. Somebody's got me. Right. We get rid of right. a lot of fear factor. And then we start asking for specific forms. You know, if, if we're going to do a backward roll support, we're going to expect a very specific pull. We want rings inside the body, not outside the body. There's right. going to be a turnover right. on the rings. And, and if at any point you alter that, if you go from a tuck position to open, you've just killed your momentum. Right. You know, so there's all these things that they've got to do, but they've got a hand on them. Yeah. And that makes a difference. Yeah. And then you're right. Once they feel it, okay, I'm ready. Let's try it again. You know, right. You know, and then sometimes it doesn't happen that quickly. You know, sometimes right. it takes time. Oh, it did. this wasn't quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying this to be nice. It's not quick. No, this was, was nice. probably weeks. I bet it was awesome. And then, and I also worked on my gymnastic kip, the real kip. Yeah. Uh, what's it called? The the one where you extend? Yeah. Um, well, you can do, there's several kind of kips. I mean, it, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, the real kip. Uh, you got a glide kip? Glide kip. Yeah, glide where kip. you're going to go yeah. out and you pike and then pop yep, back that up. That was the glide. That was, I worked on that for right. months. I right. worked on that until yeah. I, then I, I got, suddenly one day. And you get it. I just got it and I'm like, oh, oh, that was easy. But think about, so were you on P bars when you did a glide I kip? I was, or? no, I was working on it on uneven, on the uneven. girls' uneven bars. Oh, okay, okay. So, I mean, you, you can do that glide Or just on. any any bar, any yeah. just straight bar. You can do it on a variety of things. Yeah. I mean, one of the things on, on boys' apparatus, we would uh, jump off a springboard and, and fly through the rings and do that glide kip and pop up, or you'd pop up into a handstand from it, get a, a lot of momentum. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's the same movement. You're you're elongating the body out. That's creating momentum. You kind of do a slingshot approach here. So right. you pike, and then you're throwing that beautiful leverage underneath you. And that's where, when we talk about prerequisite strength, well, think about all that momentum. Something's got to stop it, and that's muscle. Right. You know, so if you overthrow it and you've got to compensate, the only thing you compensate with is strength. So if I want to, if I don't want to go up to, say, a, a handstand in that on a bar, and I just want to stop it at a support mm-hmm. and then press into a handstand, if I overthrow it, well, 
my primary movers, the shoulders and the, the shoulder girdle is what's going to control that. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing that you'll see in gymnastics, especially on rings. If they, if they throw too much momentum, there's a lot of overcompensation happening. Right. Right. Yeah. So you better be strong. How do you, um, if you want to start doing gymnastic stuff, how do you develop that strength? Like you just tell somebody to, you know, do a hundred pushups, a hundred sit-ups, a hundred squats, a hundred, uh, what do you tell them to do that yeah, they should you, start got doing? It. That's it. Really? No. <laughs> I'm like, no. what? No. Come on. No. I want something better than that. There, no, I'm messing <laughs> There are, um, what we try to do, and, and here's the other thing too. Uh, ours is a beginner course. It is to start your journey. Yep. You know, you, and, and I tell people all the time, look at everything that you did. When we close out, look at everything you did this weekend that you'd never have done before or thought you could do. But there is a, a, a wealth of work to develop, right? I, if I've got people with hyperextended elbows, for example, do you think that's going to affect their handstand or their LC? Of course. Okay. Yeah. So what do I want to do as a coach is say, well, let's work, let's work on your flexors and extenders. Let's build a bicep and tricep, especially mm-hmm. let's do things that will stabilize that joint that frankly is hyperextended through a variety of reasons, but we can strengthen it. You know, all of a sudden bicep curls mean something. Trust press, right, right. Your tricep press means something. So if I can develop that and I can get their grip strength there, um, that, I mean, I, I literally could come up with 25 things for them to do hmm. to get strong in areas where they're weak. Mm-hmm. What, what our course tends to do is show them their weaknesses. Right. Even the strongest. Right. So let's talk about where your weaknesses are. And, and, and we do, we critique throughout the whole weekend. We tell them like, look, you know, the, the tough love's coming. Mm-hmm. So if you can't take a critique, you better go outside and get an attitude adjustment. Mm-hmm. So we are constantly telling them what to correct, where they're weak. Uh, I mean, think about this, Andy, and, and you're, you're going to laugh, but I have people all the time that say, I just don't have a muscle up. I just don't have a muscle up. And I wish that I just had one U.S. dollar for every time I've heard that in 10 years. I, we wouldn't be sitting here talking on podcast. Right, right. And so the first thing I do is say, well, do you have a strict pull-up? Right. And they'll, yeah. Okay, well, show it to me. And it, you know, it takes basically 15 seconds from them to go from bottom to top, and they're using everything but the kitchen sink to get there. Right. Well, you don't have a strict pull-up. Right. Let alone a strict pull-up in a hollow body position, which is going to make it harder. Right. So... That's what we do. We break them down specifically person by person as to what they need to work on. And, and, and it's not ever a one-size-fits-all. It's not a magic bullet. They've got a lot of work to do. The other issue is this. Any form of, whether you call it fitness, bodyweight movement, yoga, Olympic movement, whatever your thing is, you don't just get out there and practice it a little bit. It has to become part of your daily right. repertoire. Right. And if it's not... It will go away mm-hmm. and or, or get ugly, you know. Um, you can only rely on on mental and neural pathways so much, right? Um, so, yeah, we just, we're going to, I mean, I can answer that for hours about things they should be working on. But it's because our, it's different for everyone. It is. It, right? it, I mean, look. If you but can, there's some, can you make any generalities? Oh. I mean, everybody needs to work on their core, they need right? To know, on their stomach, it, on their lower back. They need to know what core is. They need to know how to do a pull-up. They need to control their body weight on different planes. Right. So let's, let's, we talked about rings earlier. If you're on a set of rings and the rings are only five foot um, from the bar to the ring, mm-hmm. right, just hanging off a high bar, mm-hmm. well, that's very different than a set of rings used for gymnastics. They're way up. Yeah, 12, yeah I mean, way, way up. Yeah. I think, uh, don't hold me to this. Um, 
I want to say, are they like five meters? I know they're like 50 centimeters wide and they're there's on a, a, there's a standard. Right? Yeah. There's a standard, yeah. a USGA standard. And then, and then you they're actually on a set of springs at the top. I mean, right. there's a lot of different things going on there. You, and that makes them more wobbly. Oh my right? God. Five feet from yeah. a pull-up bar is not so bad. No, no, no. Totally different. Yeah, than, yeah. yeah. You get on a set of true gymnastic rings. Right. Uh, or then you go to some of these places where they've got rings just hanging off all types of things, but they connect them with chains to the, to the straps. Mm-hmm. Well, you just added weight to be controlled when you start throwing momentum at them. I mean, right. you got this huge uh, inertia going on there. And, and so it, it, there's a bunch of little tricks. I mean, we start really, really baby steps. So if, if, if I take a set of straps and I have you do ring push-ups on the ground, that would be something I want you to learn to do. Hmm. So just keep the rings parallel and learn mm-hmm. to keep a hollow body position. Go fully lock out, fully down. Give me a set of 10 perfect push-ups. And they'll knock that out. Let's say they're pretty strong. Okay, now get into your hollow body position, locked out arms. Turn the rings at 45 degrees. Right. Now give me two. Amazing the difference that makes. Huge. (laughs) Huge. Because look at what's going on anatomically with that shoulder. You're opening that shoulder when you turn that hand out. You're opening up the elbow when you turn that that arm out. And and so there's a different weight component. Right. But getting that down won't take long. Yep. And then we make it harder. We put we elevate the feet behind you. We change the leverage of the strap. We, right, right, we right. change where your positioning is underneath the, the fulcrum. I mean, there's a lot of things you're playing with to ramp it up. And we can do that all day long with just basic shit. So if you, like, if I told you I wanted to develop my general all-around body strength for doing gymnastics eventually, nothing specific. I don't care about doing rings or pommel horse or anything else. I just want a general gymnastic like and i could spend 15 minutes a day would what would what would be some of the things you'd have me do do me a favor define what you mean by gymnastics i mean like i guess i'm i'm thinking like tumbling like body control okay. not like rolling in circles not ro- but like the ability to you know hold myself up be inverted maybe walk on my hands well let's go with that for a moment okay because when you say tumbling that's a you know how long that list is yeah I know. all right so but let's yeah, go with that for a moment so what that. is what is yeah <laughs> So what is a, you, can you show me a controlled handstand balance? And if you do, can you show me a movement on your hands with a controlled inversion? And if you do, then basically you tell me you want to learn to do a handstand forward roll or a hands, or backward roll to support. Mm-hmm. So both of those obviously have two different forms of momentum going on. So let's go with the handstand forward roll first. You need to understand that you are controlling the fall because it's a controlled fall. Mm-hmm. So if I'm inverted, feet over knees, over hips, over shoulders, over hand, and I'm going to start falling toward my scabs, that's what I'm going to do first. I want to begin the momentum by allowing my body to go toward the fall. My back's going to hit the ground first. Mm-hmm. What do you think needs to happen with your head and your neck? Tuck. You need to protect it, right? So as you're, as you're starting to go, it's not your head or neck that touches the ground. It's your scabs. Right. Do you have a rounded back when that happens? Right. You're damn right you do. Right. And so I'm going to physically hold you through a super slow controlled roll. And, and I want your head and neck to go in. I don't want you to arch your back. I don't want you to crane your neck. I don't want you to do things that would be damaging to your spine. Mm-hmm. So we do that several times, get you that feeling. And then I'm going to control you in a more uh, fast fall. And then if you show me that you understand what this means and you can hold inversion, okay, get up, get upside down on your hands. And when I tell you to do a forward roll, begin your fall and do everything we just learned and you'll roll out of it. If you stay tucked, you're going to land on your feet and stand up. If you open your body at any point, you're going to be flat on your back. Right. Right. You know? And it changes the whole momentum. So really it's a, it's, I mean, so the, the, the answer to the, 
that wasn't quite, I don't think what I was thinking about okay. you answering, but what you, what I heard you answering was in developing gymnastic ability, finding where your, where your skill is kind of the limit of your skill mm-hmm. and then practicing yeah. how to, to just over and over again. Of, yeah. Oh, it's repetition times a thousand. Right. Yeah, you don't go and just do ten of them. I got it down. No, I, I, I get the question. I thought I was asking, or but you know, didn't phrase probably very well. Is what, what are the general conditioning type things? Okay, I'm with you now. Okay, I'm, I'm of, sorry. Of your Forgive body, me. like shoulders, so skill set back, thing. yeah, s- stomach, um, okay, legs. So what perfect. do you do? What do you do? You get- so let's just say that. Um, how about every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're going to work on three specific skills. Maybe on Monday we're going to work on a hollow rock, right? And then on Tuesday, what I want to do is just get you upside down balancing. And then on Wednesday, what I'd like you to do is uh, we're going to do strict pull-ups in a hollow body form. Mm-hmm. Okay. Each one of those movements have a hollow in it. Right. Each one of those movements have a different momentum or a different pull movement, right? Mm-hmm. And I decide what I want you to do on the first day is I want you to do 120 seconds of hollow rocks, right? Um and maybe our standard is that, you know, you have an extreme hollow and I want big rocks, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just say you rock for 10 seconds and stop. And your very first movement is going to be your freshest movement. Well, your last movement is supposed to be better than your first. So you might take a little rest between. Yep. You know, on that next day, the next movement is going to be the same approach. If I want you upside down on your hands for five seconds, that's the goal. Use the wall, not use the wall, middle of the room, up to you. But you've got to show me a controlled movement. Hmm. Let's just say you use the wall. Let's say you lean to the wall, you hit your hollow, you pull away to balance for five. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to come down, shake it off, breathe a little bit, reoxygenate the blood, and go back up and hit it again. We're going to do 90 seconds of, of holes. Mm-hmm. Same thing's going to happen on, on Friday. I want you to do one strict pull-up. It takes you about three to five seconds to go very top, chin above the bar. Maybe I make it a little harder where your chin breaks the plane of the top of the bar, but you don't lose that hollow. Mm-hmm. You come all the way back down to a nice solid negative. Right, and we're just going to knock out. Let's just make it an easy number. Let's knock out forty with rest. Right, with rest. Right. I mean, I somebody mean, that doesn't have a pull up exactly. is using a rubber band. Oh, there's lots of things. Yeah, we can scale of, it lots of different. Yeah, ways. okay. Right. So, but but those are going to be the th- skills that we work on. So we've got balance going on. We've got a pull going on. We've got a hollow body movement going on. Hmm. All of them have hollow to, to to a degree, but all of them are working a different set of the body. Or right. you know, maybe Monday what we do is gymnastic squats. I have you squat below parallel and vertical leap into the air as high as you can, mm-hmm. you know, X number. I mean, it, that, that's the way we train skill sets, but so it's really about, it's really about body awareness while doing, yeah. while do Cause you can't, if yeah. you, if you ignore the body awareness yeah, and you only have X number of minutes in a day, right. you don't, you can't, cause you can do conditioning without body awareness. Oh, completely. But if yeah. you, if you spent an hour doing body awareness training, skill training in gymnastics, right. go do all the conditioning you want and don't think about your body. Well, but th- if you're doing, trying to do both in 10 minutes, you need both. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I right. Mean, and, and what is gymnastics? It, the, the, the very short version of it is it's just body weight. It's right. body weight training. Right. You know, if, if you do a front lever, a back lever, we can scale it all day. Yeah. But we can still engage those primary movers in your core to learn it until you can get fully elongated in the body. The longer you make your lever, the more difficult it is in any movement, right? If I shorten the lever, if I bring my knees to my chest, but I decide to go out into, or pop out into a front lever, it's going to be a lot easier movement because I don't have my full body weight out there. And that's another thing to consider. When you get into some of these intermediate advanced forms, you're looking at six to ten times your body weight being placed on connective tissue. Right. So 
doing that inverted work on your hands, developing flexors, extenders, your grip strength. And maybe what I do is I have you go get a hatchet from Ace Hardware and you start walking that hatchet up and down your fingers, just walking it from the, the top to the bottom, uh, developing grip strength. A hatchet? Well, an axe really is what I'm thinking, an axe or a bat. You know what I'm talking about where you walk no. it up and down your hands? No. Okay, so yeah, yeah, there's a challenge for you. So go get you an, <laughs> go get don't get a heavy one. Wait, I can't go to Ace Hardware and buy an axe. It's it'll it's it's a Texas thing. Home Depot. Do they have axes Home, at, at, at Ace Hardware? You got a Lowe's in California? Yeah, they we do. We so do. just go we get do. you an axe. Okay. And and start at the top. In other words, bring the axe right Why to the bottom. Why does it need to be an axe? Because I mean, like, am heavy. I gonna hurt myself? No, no, the... no, no. Well, you can dull the blade. <laughs> we can dull the blade. <laughs> So you're going to slowly walk that all the way down to the end of the handle, and then you're going to walk it back up. So I'm going to let it – I'm going to lift the – You're going to lower and lift it. What? Yeah. Really? Oh, With yeah. my fingers? Yeah, just your fingers. Jeez. That yeah. seems hard. It's very hard. Um, our coach – I was not – I don't think I was a beautifully technical gymnast. I was strong. Mm -hmm. But one of the things – and I tell this story all the time. He gave me a tennis ball. He gave us all tennis balls. And he goes, you bring this back to me when you break it down. And so our goal was to squeeze that tennis ball until the vulcanized rubber in it broke that seam because the tennis ball is made in two halves. Yeah. Now, I'm telling you, man, I took this guy at his word. <laughs> right. This thing was with me everywhere. In my sleep, if I was in the school, I mean, I even had teachers try to take it up like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm getting strong. You know, right. Like, Okay, well, don't throw it. You know, okay, got it, got it, got it. Right, you know? right, right. If I was on a date going to Sonic, get a cheeseburger, I had this tennis ball. <laughs> oh, my God. It took me a long, long time. But, I mean, there was no fuzz on this ball. It was broken down. I was so proud of it. My name that he wrote on it was worn off. I, there was even a little blood on it, you know. And yeah. I took it to him. I, I was you finally, beaming. You finally broke it? Yeah. I was beaming. I, I, right. I, this was a big moment for me. Yeah. Because it was kind of like a, yeah, motherfucker. You know, I got yeah. this. You know? Yeah, right. And I laid it there on his desk, and he, he took it, he tossed it in a drawer, and he gave me a baseball. <laughs> Jesus. Masochistic. I mean, just. What are you supposed to do with that? Well, that, exactly. I mean, Jesus. I'm like, never. You know, I'm just like, coach, are you serious? And he goes, there you go. You know, step it up. But we would do things like uh, wow. he had barrels with uh, rice in them. Yeah. Barrels with sand. That's you. You put your hand in the rice, yeah. right? And you have to the old boxing drill. It was a right, boxing drill. Right. He was also a wrestling coach. This guy knew how to make you strong, um, but it, it all the way up to little bitty pebbles. He had pebbles in there, so you would work your way up wow. from barrel to barrel. Uh, the old thing where you'd have a wheel with a weight on it, and yep. you would okay. I mean, that's another thing. It was all about forearm strength, yep. flexors, extenders, grip strength, connective tissue strength. I mean that. That's connective tissue development without really heavy, heavy weight on you. Yeah, right. And so then when you start going up to, I mean, doing muscle so, ups. So the risk is much lower. You oh, yeah, You're not going to yeah. blow out a finger or a tendon or a... More than likely because not. You're, because you're, right. you know, you're doing reps. Right, right. Right. Oh, you know, and then, of course, I think in the late 70s, what they had those little spring-loaded hand squeezers, yeah. you know. Yeah. So we stepped up to that. But it, it you know, it, he, he had a lot of old-school methods that made us... When we did hollow rocks... We had iron plates. We would start off with like 10 pound, 25 pound, and he would literally have us doing hollow rocks with 45 pound plate above our head. Whoa. Now that takes a lot of momentum to balance that. Right. Now we would start out over our bodies, yep. but even in some respects that was harder because you don't have that upward leverage yeah, right. behind you. Right. He was a sadist. I mean, this guy was, 
But we were so strong. Right. We cussed him a lot. Right. We were pretty strong. Wow. Are, you know, stall bars. Get you a set of stall bars. Put those in your garage. I have stall bars. Okay, well, you got... This, I built the set last uh, last year. That, there you go. And, and and so that alone... I don't know really what to do with them. You get a stretch on them. There's and, an ass load of stuff online. Really? But All right. You, I mean, as a kid, we were always hanging on them. Yep. We had legs out in front of us, contraction you know, it's, you know what's funny? Is I can't, something I can't do, I tried doing this with, with Coach Sommer's program, is uh, toes to bar is no problem for me. Right. Knees to elbow is no problem for me. Right. I can do... You know, in a workout, I can kip and do 20, 25 toes to bar in a row. The kipping. minute the kipping, kipping. I, I, and even not kipping, I can, okay. you know, no problem do, bringing my toes up to the bar. But on stall bars, when my back is when my when my back is up against the stall bars, yeah. I make it to about here, and I'm gone. Do you know why? I have no idea why. Okay, so here's the thing. Think about what the stall bar just did to your upper it, body. It kept me from counterbalancing the weight of my well, legs. First off, you don't me. have any momentum. Right. Secondly, you've been isolated. The top torso is completely isolated. Right. It cannot move. What do you think you have to have to get your toe all the way up above your head? I couldn't figure it out, so I quit doing them. Have you ever heard of... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than drugs and alcohol, have you ever heard of something called mobility and flexibility? I've heard of that before. Yeah. That's probably going to be it first. Hmm. And so, you know, we always check out to see, can, can you put your hands flat on the ground beside your feet with your legs straight? Oh, Were well, you I, asking me? Yeah, well, I thought you might know, but let's just see. So that's pretty close. We got some bent knees going on there. And Sorry, now I got, I got shoes on. Yeah, so. well, oh, yeah, this huge, huge issue. What a, what a, so well, the next thing I was going to say is bring your, bring your hands back behind your heels and do it. Exactly. So look at how tight your hamstrings feel right now. So it's really going to be probably a flexion and mobility issue first. Right, right. Uh, but that's the other thing that we tell people too is that we understand your goal might be to do an X number in a rep for a wide. But what we try to do is say, well, let's look at where your static strength is, where your flexion mobility is, and let's stop, let's stop worrying about the clock. Let's just right. look at simple skills. So again, that's a basic skill. I mean – Andy, for you to be able to to touch your hands to the ground in gymnastics should be no brainer, right? You know, you like you breathe, right? Um, so if you got that flexion mobility, well, then all of a sudden bringing those feet up above your head is going to be a lot easier. But then it's a different engagement of an isolated uh, primary mover of your shoulder, your lats, yeah. right, your core. Yeah. So you know, we'll do movements like where we have you bring it all the way up, and you don't just let it down. You bring it all the way up, and you right, hold it for right. an X number of count, then bring it down, and then add weights and things like that. I would imagine it's a similar thing because I have a lot of t trouble with, and I'm sure this is all mobility and flexibility with the. Um, I can't do a press handstand, but it's not because I'm not strong enough. It's because I can't get my hips yeah. up over my yeah. up over my shoulders. Yeah. I so mean, we I'm, can compensate for that, and and it's and, hard. I mean, it's yeah. It, I mean, it, it might be in the straddle where you're. You know, yeah, I'd want to yeah. see where your hips are, are, are in relation to your hands the ground but it, it's going to be a mobility issue and a flexibility issue right but you can put 45 pound plates back behind you to reduce that amount of you mean to elevate your toes well, your feet yeah right, yep. right, you know, right, your whole right. feet you're gonna stand on 45 pound plate right you know maybe two because you are missing that flexion that you need to yep. get your your hip because here's the thing when you go to straddle press to handstand 
How soon do you think you want your hip up above your shoulder girdle? As soon as possible. Damn right. I mean, so immediately if you, if you can do it. Damn right. And so if you because what should really happen is your hips already there because you're flexible right. enough. Right. Well, when you see a gymnast do it, that's what that's what's there. Yeah. I mean, so it's they amazing. Like toe, they they come off the balls of their feet. They got this beautiful toe point. They just yeah. what do they do? They just bring their legs above them. Right. That's it. It's easy. Yeah. Because they're flexible. Right. Yeah. So there's another skill that you got to work, right? I mean, that that it's it's not one or two things that you're going to yeah, do. Right, when you right. asked me that question earlier, it, there is, there are hundreds of things that yeah, I could right. tell you that you would need to do based off your body, yep, your dents in the fender, your mileage, you yep. know, your age, your 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 fear factor. I've always wanted to do a uh, back tuck, and yeah. I uh, I can do it on the trampoline. Mm-hmm. I can do it into the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Um, Ever done it on the ground? Ever been spotted on the ground? No. In all in all honesty, if I was going to say tell you that, uh, no, we don't do it this way because you've got to have prerequisites, right? But yep. a back tuck is easier to throw than a back handspring because all it is is a vertical leap, a tuck. You know, you're set and you land. So you I've done a land. I've done a punch front. Yeah, you got momentum in that though. Yeah, momentum in that. There's no momentum. You're in punching that. the punch of the ground, using it and coming around. Yeah, uh, and and normally coming around, you 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 you've got kind of more time in the air to open. In a true standing back tuck, it, 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 you normally want to kind of land where you took off. Yeah. Um, but in a standing tuck, you've got to also have a vertical leap. You've got to have an understanding right, right. of when to bring your knees to your chest. There's a fear. Oh, it's, it's a huge just fear. A well, where are you going? Backwards and you can't see where you're going. <laughs> exactly. What did we talk about earlier? you got to feel this shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a fear when I first learned it on the trampoline. Yeah. I, mean, we, I remember when I first learned it on the trampoline, I, they put me up to it. They stuck me up to a harness. Yeah. I felt like a complete, you know, like. Well, pussy, I won't, I won't like, name names. We used to, I mean, we did a lot of seminars at, at my gym in Fort Worth and we would have a lot of these elite CrossFitters come in, you mm-hmm. know, we have this harness hanging above an Olympic bed, mm-hmm. you know, well, I want to learn back tuck. Like, okay, you know, come on over and. I'd get them in the harness for safety because yeah. it makes it easy on me spotting them because, yeah. yeah. damn it, they're heavy people. And so, you know, invertibly, the first few sets, they don't listen to a damn thing and they do right. everything wrong. Right. And then you end up looking like a, a god because you just simply correct a couple of things. Like, wow, that was so easy. Okay, can I take the belt off and do it now? Like, no. no. You haven't learned anything <laughs> yet. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 that's, and that's the other thing, too, is there are people who become, I think, they think they've got it down. I, I'm not going to name names, but this one guy is well known in our community, and uh-huh. he wanted to learn one for his his son at his birthday party. He wanted to throw a back tuck for mm-hmm. him, and so you know he he was doing well, and we got him. You know, I worked with him all through lunch. Got him on the ground. And I said, "Now look, you know, John, you don't know how to throw a back tuck, so we know it's John." Yeah. Well, I'm just going to leave it. There. <laughs> I, I may be John using a false name, Huck. and so I said. Don't think you've got this down. You haven't learned it. I've been here with you the whole time, and you did throw one by yourself, but you don't have it down. Uh-huh. Hey, what did that bastard do? He goes up there, and he's at the birthday party, and he throws his back tuck and lands the wrong way on his back, didn't get around, you know, probably damn near broke his neck. I didn't see it. Oh. You know, but he said, man, you were so right, you know. And <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, why do you people not listen, you know, right, just listen? Right. So anyway. Well, they get excited. You know, I understand. Yeah. I, pff, that's Look, I told you the story of my handstand. Uh, yeah. Side of a pool, drinking some bourbon, <laughs> pool to my right, stairs. tumbling down the stairs. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. You're lucky to be alive. I, yeah. I, you know, but that's, and that's the thing, man. It, it, it's not that anybody can't learn this stuff, but there are prerequisites. There are some rules. There are some things we can play with based off your abilities. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't treat you like I would a, uh, a three or four year old coming to the gym who right. her path right. is tumbling gymnastics, right? 
you've, you know, if you've got specific skills that you can show me and I feel safe and I feel safe for you, well, we can start playing with some stuff. And that's what we do in the seminar, not, not th- to a point of fault. I think the really, the coolest thing about what you do is the fact that you're bringing the, you're bringing basic body awareness and skill training to adults yeah. who, who, who missed out, who didn't get this when they were growing up, who, right. who might have been a football player or a basketball player or maybe not a player, maybe mm-hmm. a trumpet player, you know, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. who didn't, who didn't get yeah. this. Yeah. And it, it is learnable right. and it is teachable and, and it sets you up for a better life when you're 80 and 70 so. I think so. You know, like just like we were talking earlier about how a kid that's done two years of gymnastics, there's an obvious difference when they swing a bat or when they first learn a new sport or when they just try anything. There's a confidence that comes from, I think, well, I think from any, I won't just say strictly gymnastics, but, you know, what I will say about gymnastics is it certainly cross pollinates to any other sport. Yep. Uh, It, it made me a better firefighter. I was, I had no fear factor on a roof. You know, walking on a roof with 84 pounds of gear on. I, right. I, I knew how to lift my body up over certain things, and, and that training helped me do that. I mean, there were times I got into some tight spots, and, and, but, but more so for me, it was about just that. I mean, think about kids, man. What you, they're a sponge, you know, and, and you give it to them, and there's self-esteem and confidence and yep. strength, and, and not just physical strength, mental strength. And so, yeah, it, that that does push out into all these other things they do. Skateboarders, you know, and you know, Mike Berger and I talk about weightlifters. If he gets a gymnast as a weightlifter, he knows that little guy or gal's not going to be scared. Right. He knows they're flexible. He knows they got mobility, even hypermobility. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot he can do with that. And he knows that, that if he tells them to do something, they'll do it. They know how to yeah. do it instantly. You know, they just... How about being coached? Reacts. How about how many people don't know how to be coached? Right, and right. You, you said something else that was a mouthful, too, a second ago. Um, in, in my time, there used to be a lot of gymnastic studios. Now, look how many are in the U.S. now and globally. Right. And even in England, for example, in London, they basically took gymnastics out of the schools. Wow. So there's a true generation of lost body weight training. Right. And if you go to the circa 1900 photographs of, of you mentioned flying rings earlier mm-hmm. on Venice Beach, right? Mm-hmm. Man, that was a standard cargo nets, uh, Indian club bells. Yep. Uh, all I, have, these, I have two sets of those at home. They I love work those. awesome. I and love them. That's another thing that, that, again, you talk about development. That's prerequisite development. Mm-hmm. But, but look at the old, I mean, there were P bars in every gymnasium. Right. We had we had them when I was growing up. I remember in seventh grade we had a vault. I was always yeah. terrified of going over the vault and catching my toes and For you know reason. landing face down. <laughs> That's a reason. They, there's a but, reason they changed that fucking vault. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. They have a new. It's dangerous. That horse thing. I've seen people run right into the end of that bastard full speed. Jesus <laughs> sucks. Yeah. What is I've the new one into. called? It's a. It's they still, call it well. We the nickname for it's the tongue. We call it the tongue because oh, it's right. like, it's giant like tongue. a tongue. I don't it know does. what the damn new. But name it's for. safer. So, well relatively safe yeah well i mean like if you do a straddle vault you're not going to catch your feet well think about this it's a much larger platform but that's another thing too that's happened in gymnastics is the art form has pressed the edge of the envelope as to what the human body can do so you've got to have a bigger platform if you're going to be doing the type of tricks that they're doing today right you know uh even even things like the the p-bars used to be truly wood and now they're a, a composite material. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. They look like wood, but they're yeah. not. They're composite huh. material. And, 
you know, the, the men's and women's apparatus are different. You yeah. know, rings are, you know, I always laugh all the time because, um, and I, that sounds horrible to say that I laugh. I don't, maybe I just giggle. I giggle. A <laughs> you know, people are always trying to get a false grip on rings and the huh? rings are turning through the straps. And I'm like, you know, until you anchor those straps down to the rings, that's not going to do what you think it's going to do. Or oh, are the rings anchored yeah, to the straps? Yeah, ours are anchored down. We, oh, really? We don't really would tape them so that they didn't circular. Through oh, them. wow. Yeah. I mean, if you look at a set of true gymnastic rings versus what we use, and, and they're very different. Right. Yeah. And that's, I'll say one thing. Let me just give a safety thing here. Uh, when you start doing momentum on rings, you need to understand that that buckle is not meant for the massive G-forces that are being put out on them today. Oh, wow. And we, we, there's been some people who've even contacted me recently, like their buckle failed, and you know they fell off a set of rings trying to do <laughs> glide kips and giants and stuff. You know, and Wow. They're very different. They're very different. You mean the, the types of apparatuses that we set up as CrossFitters? Yeah. That, those are not meant for the gymnastic... I can't believe there hadn't been more incidents. Right. Really can't. I, right. I tell people all the time, either tape them or, or, you know, knot them up where they can't feed through. But you, I, I've seen, I've seen pictures sent to me of buckles just deteriorating. Wow. Because they've been used a lot. People don't yeah. check out their equipment. Man. Yeah. Right. 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 You right. Know. Right. Well, that's what you learn as a firefighter, as a Marine. I mean, it, yeah. you can't afford to have a, um, you know, here's one thing too. I, I, this came to mind. So one other thing that you haven't brought up at all, but I, do you ever climb a rope? Yeah, of course. Do you use your legs? Um, I, I learned to use my legs just because I felt it was a necessary safety thing. Right. I don't want to get, forget to the top of a rope and have to do a rich froning and slide Ooh. down from 25 feet, <laughs> right. you know, right. not to call out he the world champion. Rope. He didn't know how to climb a rope. I, I was there for those CrossFit games. Before and they put the mats over them too. My oh God. my God. Uh, 14 foot climb. That was a 25 foot climb. Oh wow. I think, cool. I think it was. I mean, I, a damn big climb. It was a big climb, yeah. big climb. Yeah. But you know, and in the Marines, you had you had gear. You yeah. were wearing a backpack. Oh, yeah. You were wearing your rifle. Yeah. So you had to use your legs. Right. You know. But in training, I try to climb in an L or you know in a V. Right. You know, right. out to out to the sides. Well, that that's one thing that I tell people all the time is, um, in the Olympics, the rope climb used to be in the Olympics, going way, right way back, right, like eight meter climb. Yep. And they reduced it because it was too much for everybody. But that's you know the, you're in a pike position, ropes off to the side. And you just climb hand over hand. So I think that's one of the greatest upper body development skills that you can use. And you don't even have to climb the rope very high. You can just do one pull, yep. change hands, do one pull, and you're you know, six or 12 inches off the ground. Well, because there's a kip, too. There's a, there's a kicking with the leg that helps you. There's a, well, there's there a, is. There's a coordination. I, <laughs> there's a coordination. So you're talking about just straight I'm about, well, hold a V. And just yeah, it's hand over hand. You don't use any lower body. You're in an L set position. There's there's still the, there's still a sport that exists today in rope climbing. It's no legs. It's hand over hand in an right. L set. Right. You hit you hit the top, then hand over hand down as quick as you can. When your butt hits the ground, the buzzer goes off. Oh, it's up and down. Up and down. It's not just to the top. No, it's up and down. <laughs> and 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 it's it's like in we're talking six meter climbs in just a matter of seconds. Right. Yeah. Uh, pegboards. That's another yeah, thing. Pegboards you know? are great. Understanding yeah. how to do a pegboard and don't use your lower body. You know, and everybody's trying to climb with their lower legs. Well, yeah. you think about what you just disengaged, you know? So those are things that, that I, I get why they do it. And again, I guess the goal set is something to consider, but if you're looking at a, a true virtuosity, purist skill set training, then go that route. Well, it's so interesting that they took all that stuff out of uh, modern day, you know, athletics. And I guess some of it came as a result of 
liability issues and yeah. you know injuries but you go back to those tumbling manuals from the military you yeah. know like the the and you look at the pictures of the old gyms that were yeah. you know cargo nets and rope climbing and rings and pommel horses and i mean really basic calisthenic drills and tumbling that yeah. just doesn't nobody does it one of the, i've got a copy of it here somewhere but one of the greatest books um is the united states navy tumbling guide and what they did is use gymnastics uh, this is going back World War II. Mm-hmm. Back, you know, they were they were creating the the, the airborne and all that stuff was coming right, out here. Right. Everyone, right? So they were using gymnastics and tumbling. And there are records. And now imagine being on a wood corduroy deck, you know, at sea, doing dive rolls on this ship, right? And they would end right. up creating long distance dive rolls and handstand walks, and they did all this stuff that that. Now there's some what's what's interesting about the book. We talked about a, uh, an arched back form mm-hmm. earlier. So they're, they're using a tight arch in it, which is dated. That's pretty old, mm-hmm. right? So the art form caught up with, with good, good practice. But that, there's, a, there's a specific preface in there that the United States Navy adopted gymnastics because it made their naval aviators fearless. Wow. So think about that mindset. And again, perception. And right. Because they had a better spatial awareness in the cockpit because yeah. of what they did on the ground. It yeah. translates. It does translate. translate. Right. And same thing for 101st Airborne. I mean, these guys are dropping out of the air, you know, with a lot of gear. Yep. You know, they've got to, they've got to know that they're going to be okay and in, in, in warfare too. So gymnastics makes you a better human. No doubt. It's, think about this. Who, who, where, did you, where did gymnastics come from? Do you know? The Greeks? The Greeks. I mean, they used to they used to go jump over bulls in an arena doing front flips and landing. I mean, that, that you know, the, the word gymnast means trainer. Huh. And so gymnastics came from physical exercise. And it was always about the strength of that one individual, not the number of individuals they had in the Army, but the strength yeah. of that one. And they used body weight training to, to get stronger. Wow. It's good stuff. Tucker, thank you. Um, this is uh this is the longest podcast I've done in about a year. I'm sorry. No, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I, I could go on for another. You know, like it's funny. I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast sometimes, yeah. and and Tim Ferriss, and sometimes they have a three hour podcast. And this is one of these conversations that I think I could probably sit and do three hours well, with. I, I think if you add up everything in the last day, we've done a lot. Of we've talking. we've done a lot of talking. <laughs> Absolutely. I wish I'd had the tape running. I mean, we could have probably spliced together, you know, four or five episodes. Everybody'd be so bored. They would be bored. Yeah, they'd be bored. <laughs> They were interesting to us. But. Us droning on and on about it. I think we said the same thing over and over and over, didn't we? I hope we didn't end this podcast. Okay. <laughs> I hope we went somewhere. I think um, so. Yeah, well, I'm, I think I'm tickled to death. I was shocked that you came out. I was tickled to death to have you out here. Well, it's great. I mean, I... Um, Can we go drink some whiskey now? Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> we're out. See ya. The Whole Life Podcast is produced by our podcast team, Winslow Jenkins, Becca Borowski, and Ernie Hurtado. You can find all of our episodes, links, and complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash podcast. The way that I've found is the best way to listen to podcasts is to subscribe so that episodes automatically get delivered right to your mobile device. You can do that in any podcast app on your phone. And hey, if you like the podcast, please do me a favor. Go to iTunes and give it a five-star rating and recommend it to your friends. I'm Andy Petronic, and thanks so much for listening.